Everyone, welcome to another founder edition of uh, Founder Wisdom Podcast. Today we have Isa. She is the founder at Design. It's a very interesting company. Uh, Design Creative and Prospective. Isa is in a lot of things. Uh, today we're going to focus pretty much on trends forecasting and a bunch of cool projects she's into. So Isa, tell us a bit more about yourself and your company. Well, first of all, Charles, thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I've been working with trend forecasting for a little over 10 years, I think 12 now, maybe. Um, and four and a half years ago, I founded my company, Bizon, here in Sao Paulo. So I'm based in Brazil. Uh, I've been working before that in the fashion industry, but trend forecasting is very interesting. It took me to a whole other level of innovation, looking into many different markets. Um, so I'm mostly spend my time doing consultancy projects for all kinds of sectors. I'm also a teacher and, uh, well, I call myself a chatterbox because I'm always like giving talks or participating in podcasts or things like that. Super interesting. So uh, let's talk a bit more about uh, Dizon. So uh, how many clients you have? Are they worldwide? And what do you guys do exactly? So we help our clients through the through the lens of macro trends. So we focus on social cultural macro trends, which means what are we reading, watching, eating? How are we exercising? How are we relating to other people? How are we behaving in general? And so through that lens of, of behavioral trends, uh, we help our clients to find strategic and creative solutions from uh, content product uh, perspective, but also we do a little bit of work with branding, with other branding specialists, as well as help companies integrate uh, different kinds of qualitative or quantitative research that wants to be axed in a prospective dynamic. So looking up to 10 years ahead. <clears throat> My, my clients are mostly based in Brazil, but I do have some clients in Argentina, a few clients um, in France, and I work with some partners in France, the prospectivists, they are a great budge, they used to, we used to work together in a company that worked before I founded my own, and together we also have clients in California, in Japan, in England, so we're a bit all over the place. Yeah, that's so cool. Um... How do you predict a, a trend? Like, what are the data points that you check? Do you do market research? How do you, what, what is your research process? So it's, it's always uh, complicated to explain that we do not use a lot of data. <laughs> I mean, in the sense of hard data numbers or market research, I actually kind of ran away from that segment being that my father was in market research and I was like, I don't like numbers. I don't get this. And I'm always so always interested in the other percentage, like you'll tell me 73% of people are doing this. I'm like, yeah, but what are the other 27% doing? Because those are going to be the next game changers, generally. Um, so what we observe mostly is uh, we do our processes. So based on semiotics, so we are analyzing different signs, mostly social cultural references um, that are indicating a change or a slant in behavior that is starting to take us to another um, uh, to another they're starting to take us to another point of view and kind of conducive to a change in behavior. 
because I've been doing this with this team for, for you know, over a decade, we have been mapping that through a grid of sort of, I would call macro dynamics or mo very important points that are intrinsic to our behavior. So how is our identity manifesting? What is our relationship with nature? How are we relating to well-being and hedonism and the fact that we're all, you know, pleasure seekers as, as generations? Um, how are we relating to the collective? What is the effect of globalization? Is it making things, you know, more local or is it making things more global or both? Or what are those tensions there? We're also very interested in our relationship to sacredness and to transcendence and to this basic, you know, human mega question of what are we going, where we come from, etc. And obviously that is all permeated by the impact of technology and the advances of uh, science and, and, and things like that that are now intrinsic to almost every area of our lives. What's the effect of TikTok on humanity right now? Well, I, I'm a TikToker and the first thing I can say is that I think it is content for the... Uh, The, the ADD generation. So it's YouTube <laughs> for people with a smaller attention span. Uh, that's to me the first um, example. But the most, the, the biggest effect of TikTok, I think, is that it's still at the very beginning. Like whenever I think about TikTok, I try to remember how YouTube was when people were unpacking with like three megapixel cameras and trying to film that unboxing of some shoe or something like that. And how horrible the the quality was, but how how different at the same time and, and how sophisticated it is now. So I also think we need to give TikTok some time because I think it will become much more sophisticated than it is right now, which is just just basically trending nonstop on and, 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 and riding the frenzy of our overstimulated lifestyles. Yeah, for sure. I want to talk about uh, trends in some areas that you're familiar. So Let's start with trends in fashion. What do we see nowadays? Well, it's interesting because you were talking about TikTok and there's a misconception of what trends in fashion could be. And, and uh, we've talked about it earlier, so I'm just going to make it clear for everybody who's listening. Uh, to me, there is macro trends, so big trends that are changing how we behave. And then we have seasonal trends or aesthetic trends or, you know, that are the, the visual manifestations. I focus on the macro trends. So I focus on what's really changing behind the scenes. And the reason I'm making a point here is just because when we think of TikTok, we think of, ah, oh, Brazil core is the trend this week and next week it's nostalgia and the other week it's, you know, whatever, da, da, which is really fast and really uh, hard to keep up with. But those are the, the, the aesthetic, you know, trends that are the visual ones. In terms of macro trends, there are a few things that I think are very interesting happening. Um, first of all, there is true investment in innovation when the subject is sustainability. And what I mean there is truly innovative materials. So unheard of materials made from food waste, made from um, you know, mushroom, made from all these different uh, materials that we never thought would be possible. There's also extreme, extremely interesting innovations happening in terms of water supply, the effect of dyes in our rivers and in our oceans, um, and also the shift in how we see upcycling. Like I can't, I can't bear seeing a clothes that, you know, a garment that looks like another garment anymore. Now we are 
taking away the fibers and remaking new textiles or new materials from from waste so there's huge innovation there and it's really high tech and it's very interesting um and it's taking us to a new kind of industry sustainable industry that i think is is one of the, the interesting trends i love to speak as well about what i call the the, the comfort uh the, the big comfort comfort imperative and this is mostly for women right i mean boys you got it bad when you have to wear a suit and that's basically it uh but women have been uncomfortable for you know centuries uh, be it from the hosiery to to the makeup to the hairdos to the clothing the shoes the heels obviously all that so i think there's a new switch and the pandemic really accelerated that uh and it goes way down to the fiber like to, to the fact that you know we have clothing that has more elastic fibers and that allow us to be more comfortable from you know the, the thinnest layers of our of our clothing and i think that is one of the most interesting trends that we've seen in the, in the in the few years and the same goes for makeup for hair for everything everything is getting more comfortable without losing the idea that you want to be attractive or sexy or anything like that um and then obviously i think that the 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 idea of gender the fact that we are slowly getting rid of the idea of gender is also one of the the big trends that we're going to see over the last the next 10 years as well as age we are finally starting to burst the bubble of what it means to age and how we want to design for aging. And um, that's a good segue to talk about the death of myths. I think you named a couple in there. Tell me, tell us a bit more about that project. Uh, so at this zone, we have an annual digital project. Um, and for 2022, uh, we wrote, uh, we came up with a project called The Death of Myths, where we wanted to debunk basically 25 contemporary myths. Uh, obviously, some are linked with older myths and more traditional myths, but you know, our, our focus were on on 20, 21st centuries uh, in inquiries. I have to admit that this is also a provocation because it's an election year in Brazil, and at this zone, we are very against the current administration who uh, has this nickname of myth. Uh, so it was also a bit of a, a way that we could do it in our own fashion, respecting what we do and making it useful and strategic for companies around the world. Um, so with the death of myths, one of you're right. And one of the, the trends that, that we talk about that I love is, is, is the idea of, of gender binary and how we have constructed an entire society on what men are supposed to do and what women are supposed to do and the fact that that is basically a social construct that we are finally starting to break down uh, and for instance if i go into the myth that talks about the taboo of aging it's very interesting because we have been selling to people that we can fight age for a long time and we can't, not yet. I mean, we're investigating how to halt cellular aging. Yes, we are. There are a hundred um, startups and, and big companies and you know, famous billionaires looking into the, the new uh, standards of longevity and the fact that we will be able to live for much longer, much healthier, et cetera, et cetera. But still, uh, we haven't dealt with the idea that aging has many, many different aspects. It is as much a cultural concept as it is a medical concept as it is an emotional concept. And I think we're starting to accept the fact that 
we don't have to age just because our skin ages and we don't have to age inside and we can start our lives so many times we can change our minds we can innovate we can change uh, careers we can you know create families and things like that um, throughout our lives so the, the death of myths comes with little questions and provocations to try and you know nudge us to wider more plural more inclusive more collective uh train of thought yeah i want to talk about a couple of these myths you already talked about the aging one um i'm one of these longevity freaks uh that's my next biotech startup and you're right uh it's it's also an emotional uh process and it's more than just living forever there's other uh, constructs that we need to talk about uh, related to the, the team. I want to talk briefly about uh, the number seven. So do we have time to rest? So, or do we have the right to rest actually? So what, what are your thoughts on that? I am uh, extremely sad to see that we are living in a performance obsessive culture that uh, wants us to be able to do more and more all the time. And that doesn't really look into the essence of who we are and how we function as animals, because you know, they were animals. We try to become these sophisticated machines, but we're just, you know, we're just animals. How did that uh, happen who, who in the first place? Uh, technology. So the fact that technology has an exponential growth, and I don't need to explain that to you, you know that better than I do. Uh, made us believe that at some point we could have, you know, exponential uh, progress or or productivity. That's my hunch, anyway. Um, so, if we think about, you know, the, the, the traditional more scale, okay, you know, every couple, every few years, technology becomes cheaper and becomes faster, and that's how you know we now get to have computers stronger than those that took us to the moon in our hands. Um, kind of misled us to the fact that we should be always on like the internet is always on and that we should reply and we should be available all the time because the internet is there and, and so are our devices and our digital technologies. Except that we are not machines or not those kinds of machines anyway. Uh, and most of our creativity and productivity comes from rest, comes from creative procrastination or you know comes from having time off comes from being in nature from sleeping from meditating from just doing nothing um no wonder most people have their best ideas not when they're cramming or sitting at their table working for 100 hours on Adderall and all that and the obviously the uh the uh, programming segment was very strong there's an interesting film called take your pills that talks a lot about this and talks about how in programming the competition became so intense um, that people just started losing control of their sleep of their rest of their bodily functions and, and basically disconnecting from their human machines yeah. so nowadays i just think we need to push people especially leaders out of this uh, view because the best part of humans is that we are not machines or not you know technological machines yeah well me personally i come from a uh semi-workaholic dad, you know, an entrepreneur and used to, he still does at least 60 hours per week. Um, he still has time for his family though. So he, he has somewhat of an equilibrium and he started working at home in like 2008 or something like that. Um, so I'm glad I had that. I'm also from the Concerta slash Ritalin slash Adderall uh, generation. Lots of my friends were stuck on that and today they kind of have 
problems functioning normally. You know, it, it, it's really uh, brought disequilibrium in their uh, brain chemicals. Um, so that, that's kind of sad. So I think with that upbringing, especially at university, which is like compete, compete, get the best grades and so forth. And by the way, a bunch of us used uh, uh, Ritalin and Adderall to get good grades. Yeah, the people start um, competing on who gets the best salaries and so forth, but they forget that the greatest richness in life is, is time and it's, it's meant to be enjoyed. I think that um, one solution to that and one that I certainly use myself, which is why I didn't fall in that uh, trap, in the, the time trap and the, the money rich time poor trap is podcasts. Uh, I listen to various podcasters, for example, Aubrey Marcus, um, that brought uh, spirituality to, to my life. And yeah, just uh, let me know that uh, sleep is important. And all these biohackers, for example, that are not all um, hacking for productivity, but hacking for good life, you know? So I think that that's an interesting um, point to, to mention. Then another point that struck me um, in the death of myths, uh, which is a very cool presentation, very pleasing to the eye, is are we separated from nature? So tell us, uh, tell us a bit more about that one. Um, so we basically have this, well, the, 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 the occidental culture, I would say, not, not in the Orient, we have a bit more wisdom. Um, but we've, you know, separated that which is savage from that which is um, the, the, the culture and the laws. And so we've separated nature from the human culture, which I think is completely crazy. First of all, because we've invented a pyramid that doesn't exist where humans are in the top of the pyramid. And this is a complete ego trip, as we tend to do, um, that put nature beneath us in a way. And I'm simplifying years and years of, you know, philosophers and so much heavy writing on this subject. So please forgive me, whoever here is, is, is more uh, studied and in depth, has studied this more in depth than I have for just for time's sake. So we've, we've kind of separated ourselves and said, no, no, which is that which is savage and crazy is nature. And our crazy part is nature. But, you know, the fabulous part about us is our culture part our cultural side and the laws and, and ideas and things that we've developed and written over the years. Uh, to me, I, I, nature is my sanctuary. Nature is my spirituality. So to me, there is nothing crazier than trying to, to say that nature is beneath or above or below or we are all part of an ecosystem. So the reason why we say that we are separated from nature is because we have separated ourselves not only from our natural habitats, because we've only been living like pigeons and, you know, not you obviously, but in buildings for a, for a, a short amount of time. Um, but we've also separated from our own nature, our instincts, um, our, our bodies, our natural rhythms, our circadian rhythms, everything. And also from a view that we have a lot to learn from nature because we are nature. The nature is almost 4 billion years old. And here is some guy thinking that he knows more than, than the 4 billion year old system about anything. So we're, we keep inventing solutions. Plastic is one of the crazy ones um, to things that already exist and that we couldn't look around and think, okay, shouldn't I look at a mango? Like, look how smart that packaging is. Why am I still using plastic to wrap over mango, which is, you know. So what I'm trying to say is this, we've, we've developed a counterintuitive system 
that separates us more and more and kind of tries and elevates that to some sort of status quo, which has a lot to do with what you said in terms of, you know, uh, the glamour of, of success and money and richness and et cetera, and et cetera, uh, without realizing that time and contact with nature is probably all we need to be healthy and a little happier. Sure. Um, and so we kind of go in many levels of depth and trying to simplify this, this idea, but yeah, we go into many levels there of how, how this relationship has been estranged and how how much we're missing out because of that yeah i think it's related to um <clears throat> the the point 20 of the the report uh you resemble narcissists <laughs> so i think especially younger generations um i think they grew up in tech some of them grew up in cities and they don't really know the the nature landscape they're always in urban landscapes and they're they're kind of missing out on that and when you go for for long walks in nature for long hikes um like me do crazy stuff like ultra marathons in the mountains of 80 kilometers you realize that there's a very deep connection and you're meant uh, to be there not in between four walls you know so i recommend people to to just go on on walks you know and explore forests and you know who cares if you get your your feet wet or if you're you come all you come out all dirty that's what you're kind of meant to be and and observe the feeling that this has on your body you know breathing fresh oxygen or earthing so having your feet in the in the ground there's signs behind that um last point i want to talk about is a point we often talk about in this podcast um point 21 which makes this this uh, report of yours uh, so accurate um where does information come from? So there's a lot of disinformation going at the moment. And I believe people don't need more information, but they need OS slash systems, mental systems on how to digest information, um, how to, yeah, like uh, have a critical mind towards information that they receive and uh, maybe have more than one uh, source of, of news uh, slash where to get your, your news and so forth and not be manipulated um, for example, uh, I see it a lot in my parents, they often look at the news, you know, and that's one source of information and it's constant, constantly is sensationalistic. So you listen at these headlines, they incite fears, you know, it's, it's all in red CNN style, you know, and that's incredibly toxic uh, to uh, a brain and it, it makes the brain addicted to those things just like TikTok does. So what is your take on disinformation and what can we do to uh, get better information and uh, more of an unbiased uh, opinion on things? Lisa, you're muted, <laughs> by the way. Absolutely, my bad. Uh, the first thing I think is that we need to uh, make sure that we understand two things. One is that we are living in the era of infobesity, which means there is just too much. We're just, there's just too much information and half of that makes it so confusing. Um, the second one is that if it's free, you are the product. And so I'll, this is Yuval uh, Noah Harari, who I'm a big fan of. He posted this uh, a couple months ago. He says, first, if you want reliable information, pay good money for it. If you get your news for free, you might as well be the product. And that's, he says in his 21 um, Lessons for the 21st Century book, and then he tweeted about it recently. And, and it was one of the 
the things that I wanted to bring forth when I talk about this uh, idea of where does the information come from? Because if everything is free, you're just lost in the notion of clickbait. Because yes, there's the traditional media as you were talking about your parents, but I think it's 100% accurate. And then once you go online, it's like the same idea transposes to what will I say that will get you to click? Like we had a, 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 um, a publication recently from one of the biggest newspapers in Brazil that said, this thin symptom is now the new symptom for COVID. And then we would read the underneath, there was nothing saying anything about the symptom. And, Everybody who was commenting on the post had no clue about what they were saying. And when you went on to the article, they still didn't explain it. Yet they got, you know, 24,000 comments, links, clicks, blah, blah, blah. Because we're locked into these social media bubbles, we don't really understand. So we are, the algorithms that uh, are very useful for many kinds, but are still, you know, could be better, will be better in the future, are locking us into our preferences. So we are becoming kind of like horses. I don't know what they're called, but those things that they wear when they're in carriages and they can't see sideways. Yes, thank you. So we're kind of walking around in social media wearing those and talking to the same people and just kind of agreeing. So to me, the worst part and the fundamental part of this misinformation, infobesity, infotoxicity that we are living in is the fact that we are, we have unlearning how to disagree. We need to disagree. We need to have healthy discussions with people who don't see things the same way as we do. That's how we grow, evolve, and learn. That's how debate is healthy and stimulates our brain, our critical thinking and everything. So to me, uh, not only do we need to have better sources, pay when, when, when it's possible for our information, check our facts and all that, but we also need to start having the uncomfortable conversations with the people we don't agree with so that we can build less polarized societies and governments and, uh, and, and also fight off this media that ends up winning us because of our fight or flight uh, instinct. For sure. Um, I'm huge on these topics. So I have a, a couple of advice to give here and there. So, well, Yes, you can pay for stuff. Well, lots of people that are starting, they don't necessarily have money for this. And there's a bunch of great um, uh, source that are free to, to learn out there. So for example, me, my learning techniques, I use this app called Pocket and I use uh, Wikipedia to dive into deep rabbit holes about a bunch of things. I also uh, listen to a bunch of free podcasts, a bunch of free YouTube videos, always test um, this new information. That's, that's the main point here. So you can check in the comments, you can check if these assumptions that these authors make are, are true in your own life. Um, me, for example, if I get a good piece of information, I will try to test it out and see if it works or not, if this niche is good or not. And basically uh, that will be my, my theory on, on how to make things work or not work. So if it doesn't work, I stop believing it. If it works, then it, it's pretty much believable. Also podcast is another way to uh, battle test your ideas and get different opinions uh, with other guests and discuss some opinions with them and exchange uh, point of views. How has been the, the podcast for you? Because you have your own pod. Uh, what um, what was your theory behind the pod and what kind of results are you getting so far? 
So I have a podcast now. It's one year old. It's called Ciao Bella. We just became weekly. We used to be like a season organized uh, uh, publication, uh, but we have a new a new sponsor. So now we're 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 weekly. It's basically focused on beauty and wellness from the perspective of innovation and the industry. So we're talking more to the industry than to consumers in, in themselves. I actually don't have a, that much of an exchange. It's me and my partner, Vanya Goy. And what we do is we have a sort of journalistic report on the trends that we've been mapping over the last years that we don't use it as much. So the reason why we did it is we have so much research we want to share. We have so much of what we want to show people who work with us or people who follow and, and enjoy our work uh, that we decided to do these sort of pills on innovation on all the trending topics that could give a taste of how we see the world. And, and, and so in terms of leading, uh, so in terms of generating leads, it's been super interesting because a lot of new uh, clients or, or partners or, or things like that have become uh, more aware of what we do and more interested in what we do. Uh, we do interview people, but we put it into our script. It's not like your podcast where, where we're here having a conversation. Uh, and I have to say that for me, the most interesting thing was that we have a really short format, um, 20 minutes max, and that has been our number one sort of, uh, 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 how can I say then, what people have most appreciated about the podcast, which means also, which goes back to me, to the idea that we need to be concise and objective about the information that we put into the world and, you know, less, a little less narcissistic in the sense of, going to talk for two hours and have one of the best podcasts in Brazil. It's great, but it's two and a half hours. You need like a whole week to listen to it. Yeah. So it, it taught me about how we can make information super relevant, super concise, um, and, and also uh, fun. Cause I think these things need to be fun too. For sure. Well, Isa, thank you so much for coming in today. Where can people find out more about you and the zone? Uh, thank you for having me. We are on dezon, D-E-Z-O-N.com.br or at Isa with a Z, dezon with a Z. Uh, and you can find all of these materials and much more on, uh, on our social media.